I think it's morning still. Would you turn with me, Romans 4, Genesis 17. Romans 4, Genesis 17. We're going to go to Romans 4 first, and then we'll be back in Genesis today. Um, and then probably, we're going to, not probably, we're going to take a breather from, a breather, it makes it sound so bad. We're going to take a break from Genesis 17 for a couple weeks through the Easter, Easter time. So, Romans chapter 4, beginning at verse 18. I read through this whole chapter last week, and I want to just touch on these first few verses because I believe they, they speak to our text this morning as well, kind of a backdrop. Speaking of Abraham, in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Let's pray together. Father, I am so grateful to you for this group of people with Bibles opened on their laps that I believe, Lord, we we trust in your word. We have a desire to hear from the word of God today. And I pray, Father, that in my weaknesses and, and fumblings, you would speak clearly to your people that the we sheep would hear from our shepherd and understand, Lord, by the, by the great work of your spirit, we would understand what we study. And God, it would make a people, a holy people in this world, a people who are excited and ready to love and serve Jesus Christ, regardless of consequences regardless of the response of a dead, sinful, lost world, we are excited, ready, willing to love and serve Jesus Christ in whatever category that might be in for each of us individually, Father. Lord, I pray that you would speak through your word and that you would be honored in this time. In Jesus' most precious name, amen. Chapter 17 is kind of where, not kind of, it's where we were last week, and I I left off in verse 14. Chapter 17, verses 1 to 14, God, in his grace, gave a wider lens to Abram, changed his name, 
further explained that a child would come from his body, and it would not be Ishmael, but it would rather be Isaac, as he's going to unfold even more further in detail here in the rest of the chapter. God's progressive revelation and his widening of the lens for their capability of seeing his will, his unrevealed will that is then becoming his revealed will to Abram, God in his grace allows him to see that. And let me say, God in his grace at times allows him to not see that. There are times, I believe, God lovingly didn't give, give, didn't give Abram a complete picture of what he's going to do. But kindly, he, he slowly but progressively was allowing him to see more and more and more. I think in the exact same way he does with us. We as believers get born again, and just in the same way, God kindly and graciously grows us, matures us, reveals himself in more and more ways. Part of this is because Abram acted in faith. If he had the full scope, the faith would not be as necessary. So here in this passage this morning, we're going to see a, the widest lens thus far, if you will, that, that God is going to allow for Abram to be able to see and allow him to see, wow, that's what God's going to accomplish. I, I, he just can't believe what God is going to accomplish. At the root of this Abrahamic study, as we've been studying Abram, and we will continue to study him, we aren't done with, with this part, portion yet, there's one word that keeps ringing out every Sunday. Now, every week in preparation, but even from this pulpit, there's a word that keeps coming out. And I, I've caught it, you've probably caught it, and it's the word trust. The problem at the very core, at the very root of much of the sin in the life of Abram, and I would argue the sin in our lives, is we really, truly don't trust God. Now, on a piece of paper, we trust God. If I were to ask you, if you walked in this morning and I shook your hand and I said, hey, did you trust God this week? You'd say, probably you'd say yes. Maybe you'd say no. I don't know exactly how you'd respond. Might be a weird question. If first thing I do is shake your hand and say, did you trust him? But sometimes I can be awkward like that, so maybe I would do that. I am convinced, beloved, that the main issue is not necessarily what we say we believe, but what we believe. Saying we believe it is great, and I, I'm all for that with all my heart, but doing and walking in belief that God truly is God and truly is sovereign and truly has a plan and truly is in charge, actually trusting him is at the root. Do you trust God? Do you trust him? You have every reason to. I can show you page after page after page each one of you can share testimony of testimony after testimony. Every reason to trust him. And then we ask the question, so you, do, do you, are you going to trust him this week fully? And we're all going to honestly at some point say, probably not. I'm still wrestling. Still don't fully trust him. So Abram, just like the rest of us, it's mingled, right? Come away from your family, go to a land I'll show you, and when you go there, 
a great nation's going to come from you. There's a land promise. There's a promise of the offspring, all of these different promises that have been given to him. And he responds in faith. Yes, I will come. I believe you. And the scripture says that he believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness. Fast forward another 10 years after that. Sarah says, how about Hagar? And we'll speed up the process. Abram knows Hagar. Hagar has a child. It's a fiasco. The whole thing just crumbles. Man's attempt to help God is usually always that kind of crumbling because our flesh is so mingled with our good intentions at times. The whole thing comes apart at the seams. But God doesn't stop with him. I, I got to tell you, just laying in bed this morning, waking up, trying to, pre-coffee, I'm sitting there thinking, he should have given up on him. Which then, almost like this massive foam finger kept turning around and pointing and saying, yeah, he should have given up on you too. I, I am amazed at the grace of God. His grace is amazing. Somebody should write a song about it. And so, beloved, there's an interesting piece here that really does, it changes a little bit because there's a person that's been missing in this storyline thus far. Not missing, but just not a big role hasn't been given to them yet necessarily, especially in what God's revealed to Abraham. What about Sarah? Now remember, when Sarah brought Hagar, it's possible that Abram could have, with that internal lawyer, justified himself and said, well, the promise was made that a child would come through me, but he didn't say anything about Sarah, so maybe if it's not supposed to be Sarah, it's just supposed to be me. Maybe it's me and Hagar. Maybe my wife's right. I'll listen to the words of my wife, which he does. And if you were here for that portion, it just falls apart. Okay, so it just falls apart. No, that's that's not the game plan, Abram. God has a specific game plan he has said from the beginning. And I would ask you, in your Bible reading, specifically in this text this morning, as I'm reading through this, walking through this, please notice each time God says, Sarah, your wife. And how many times he deliberately refers to Hagar, not his wife. God is not validating their action. And God is not being thrown off in any way what his plan is in reference to the child of the covenant. So look with me now. We we change gears just a little bit. Verse 15, and God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah. Um, I know when he changed Abram's name, right? He He added an H, just like he's doing here. And as he adds that H, Abram went from Exalted father or exalted dad to dad of nations or father of multitudes. That concept of you were exalted dad. Now, I still think it's interesting for 99 years or at least up to the point that Ishmael was born, everybody that spoke to Abram when they said his name Abram was saying exalted father. Everybody, exalted dad, exalted dad, exalted dad. I don't have a kid and my wife can't have kids. I know exalted dad. That's a struggle for you, exalted dad. And you just think about all that's involved there. Then God changes his name to father of nations, or rather father of multitudes. Here with Sarah, he changes her name, but it's, it's a different dialect, but it doesn't change the meaning of the name. It simply means princess. 
It's the same thing that it meant as Sarai. It's the same thing it means as Sarah. It means princess. Why is that important? Not because she's Abraham's little princess. It's important because royalty will be coming from this woman. Now, royalty in the sense of kings, physical earthly kings, but also royalty in the king of kings will be coming through the line of this woman. Isn't that interesting? Her name's princess. I'm sure it's coincidence, right? All right. So, and God said to Abram, Abraham, I knew I'd do that. As for Sarai, your wife, you should call her name Sarah, or Sarai, but Sarah, shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Now, look at, look at these blessings. Number one, God's blessing on her. I will bless her. This is the blessing of God, the favor of God. She will have a son. Please notice in your Bible, I will give her a son. That is so important. God is not... The reason that word give, as opposed to will have, or she will have, is it's so important to recognize God is not simply one who's looking at something happening. God doesn't just look into the future. I don't believe in a crystal ball God. Yes, he's omniscient, but he's far more involved than just knowing stuff. He doesn't say, I see that you will have a son. He says, I'll give you a son. I'm granting you a son. On purpose, with my divine intent, I'm giving you a son. Because, let's remember, everything naturally speaking, earthly speaking, there should be no son. I'm giving you a son. Now remember, last week, El Shaddai, God says, I am almighty. He's still... That's still the banner over this discussion he's having with Abram, is that he began by saying, all right, Abram, before, before, I, before I tell you all that I'm going to do, before I fill you in on all of this extravagant stuff, let's remember I am almighty. Mighty, yes, I have power, but almighty, I also have sovereignty. All might is mine, therefore I am sovereign over all things. Start with that point, and then the rest of what I tell you here, piece of cake. See, if you know God, God's word makes sense, and it's crystal clear. You don't know him, you're going to have all kinds of questions. So he comes to Abram and says, you're going to have this, you're going to have this, you're going to have this. Naturally, that's insane and could never happen. Yeah, but I'm almighty. Do you see why he started with that? The foundation of what he's telling him here begins with God saying, I am El Shaddai. I am almighty. Everything I tell you, Abram, is going to be true. There is nobody who can stop me. Okay. He will give her a son. Nations will come from her. And now we're told kings will come from Sarah. From this princess will come kings and if you notice, as I shared last week, if you walk through this passage, just underline the I will, the I wills of the passage. I know we talk about the I am's of Scripture, and those are glorious, revelation of God, who he is. I am, I am, I am. I also love the I wills of the Bible, where God says, I will do this, I will do this, I will do this. How many Yabbat questions could come to mind when he says, I will do this? Yeah, but God, she's barren. Yeah, but God, I'm 100. Yeah, but God, she's 90. Yeah, but God, we've never had kids. Yeah, but God. And God said, I, I, I didn't stutter. I will. 
good is done. So, there's the blessings Almighty God is going to pour onto Sarah, not Hagar, Sarah, Abram's wife. Remember, beloved, that though the patriarch of the Old Testament, Abram, our father of faith, what he did in taking Hagar was in no way, shape, or form blessed by God. What I mean by that is that this was not something that God was for, nothing that they did not help him in any way, there was not encouragement in that arena, so on and so forth. Look at verse 17. Then Abraham fell on his face. We saw that earlier, if you look at verse 3. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, this is the beautiful picture of somebody's response to a holy God. Guys, often, you hear this often, I hear this often, and I know that, we can start a sentence by saying, you know what's wrong with the church today is, dot, dot, dot. And is there stuff wrong with the church today? A ton. Of course. Yeah. I would put a banner over all of those what's wrong with the church today questions, or or statements, rather. I would say what's wrong with the church today is we don't truly know God. We don't know him for who he is. I'm convinced the more we know God, the more everything flows from that. But when you make God a weak, soft, borderline, mighty Santa Claus who does nice things and is just begging for you to respond well, and he's put in that arena... Once we make God not God, we officially are worshiping an idol, and why would we be surprised that all kinds of terrible things would flow from our misconception of God in our practice as Christians? I'm convinced the greatest thing in the greatest need in the church of Jesus Christ today is to know God. I think it's the hub. I think everything flows from that. We don't know him. We don't know who he is. We don't understand his holiness. We don't understand the gravity of how glorious he is. We don't know. And we must come to terms with this that when we do know, it is devastating to the flesh. When Isaiah saw God, he was crushed. When Abraham comes before God, it says he's on his face. There are are kings and princes and people in this world that if we come before them, we come with maybe a more of a gentle, humble heart before them. With God, it's, it's that times infinity where you just are flat before him. Lord, I, I am a worm before you. I can't look at you. You are so glorious, so mighty, so powerful. And even those words don't touch him. Those words don't even come close to how great God is. Abram comes before him, and all he can do physically is put his face in the ground. Now, there's a second piece to it, though. As his face is in the dirt, his body starts shaking with laughter. Now, you go, what? Laughing in the presence of the living God? Seriously? Abram, what is your problem? Well, let me give you you an illustration. Has anybody ever come and given you a piece of news or, or a gift that was so over the top, 
so kind, so... It just took you off your feet that you laughed as you opened the present. That you were so taken off, you just couldn't... I, you know, even I, I begin to giggle a little bit as I even give the illustration where you're opening the gift, you say, are you kidding me? You did this for us? I, uh, here's an here's a illustration. I, when we were in Eastern Oregon at the church over there, I was pastoring over there, and a man in our church who was, didn't know the Lord, um, but I had a, a good relationship with him and started to just really grow a good friendship with him, he said, I want to take you to Idaho, and I'm not going to tell you why you're going to Idaho. Now, <laughs> uh, okay, uh, you know, I'm game. W- what's going to happen there? It will stay there. No, I'm just kidding. So we went over to Idaho. We pull in front of this Coliseum type thing. And he said, okay, you want to know why we're here? I said, yeah, what, what do you, this is weird. What are you here for? He wouldn't tell me a word. My wife wouldn't tell me a word. I had no idea. And he slips me two tickets to B.B. King. Now, to some folks, that'd be like torture for two hours. But to a blues guitar player, I was just, oh, man. And I remember laughing, opening up the envelope and seeing B.B. King. I said, are you kidding me? You know, I'm convinced that when he laughs at God here, it's not necessarily him mocking God. It's not necessarily him here saying, God, you don't know what you're doing. I don't think it's him here saying, God, I don't trust you. I don't think it's, I think he is simply (laughs) blown off his feet at what God just said. I'm 100 years old. She's 90. Um, We've never had children. I only have one son through Hagar. God, no way. I just can't believe it. I don't know about you, but my, my thought is when somebody tells me something impossible, I try to think of something on a lower tier that's possible. If, I told, if somebody came up and said, Dan, after church, you're going to fly home, not like fast in a car, but like literally fly home. You're going to just pick up and you'll fly home. I'd say, no, I'm going to get in my car and I'll drive home. You said something extravagant, something that obviously is supernatural, and that's not going to happen. So I go to the natural. I'm going to drive home. That's not going to happen. I, I know that in the sphere of this world, it would have to be a miracle for me to fly home. So what's Abram say? Lord, may Ishmael always live before you. Now look at your Bible with me. He says, uh, after he tells him everything that's going to happen, Abram said to God, Oh, this is verse 18, that Ishmael might live before you. And the idea is not um, that he's trying to detour God or anything like that. It's just his mind went to the son that he has. That only makes sense. I don't blame him for this. I don't think he's being rebellious or silly or stupid. I think he's just simply saying, may Ishmael live before you then. He's my son. He's got my blood running through his veins. It only makes sense, God, that Ishmael would be the one that, that you would take and use. Beloved, the words, the words of the text, this whole portion we're in today, that keep coming back over and over throughout this week is this. Very simple. And God said no. He didn't, he didn't ask. He didn't plead. He didn't hear Abram. He didn't say, well, that's another option. And God said no. 
I don't know about you, I'm not very good at hearing no. Lots of folks are not very good at hearing no, but here in the passage, God said no. You, this is, this is not the case, this is not the fact. It will not be Ishmael. Abram, I know that that's where you, that's where your mind has gone. I know that's where you went. But that has never been the game plan. That has never been my purpose. I have a much different plan. Now, please notice this, beloved. If you, if you look down, God said no, but Sarah, please notice, your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. There's the authority again. And the foretelling, I think this is funny, Isaac's name means laughter. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. If you would, just jot down in the margin of your Bible, um, Galatians 3, and track that word offspring. At first, when we read that, we go, oh, are those Isaac's kids? Yes, yes, they're Isaac's kids. But Paul, in the New Testament, catches on to that word offspring and ultimately winds it down to Jesus. The offspring of Isaac, who is that? Well, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you go down the list of the patriarchs, but there's something far bigger in that word offspring. I would take it all the way back to Genesis 3. The seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Who's the seed of the woman? That's the seed of Abraham, promised in Genesis 3. Who's the seed of Abraham? That's the offspring of Isaac, promised in this text. And you just keep going point by point by point by point until you land with Jesus Christ who comes through this lineage. All of this has a meta-narrative. So you've got this narrative we're reading here and then this massive narrative over that narrative which is God going to redeeming a people through Jesus Christ. So it's, it's interesting to read your Bible. And for me, I've got to see it kind of like on a on a a whiteboard. It helps me learn that way. I'm that kind of a learner. And so on a whiteboard, you have the, the narrative, the whole narrative of the Old Testament with God and Israel. Then you, underneath that, you have little narratives of God with individual people. But then over the entire thing is that entire narrative, which is all about the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why in Luke 24, Jesus said, you search you know, the scriptures which spoke of me. The scriptures that specifically spoke of Christ. And you go, what scriptures? All the Old Testament scriptures. Once we get that tier system down, I think we're on a pretty good, we're on a, we're on a really good playing field as far as understanding our Bibles better, you guys. When we see the small narrative, the fuller narrative, and then that great grand narrative over the entirety of the Bible. So in, the, in this tiny little narrative and in that tiny little word offspring, or another translation will say seed, in that tiny little word, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God in the New Testament says, that is Christ. Now, what's interesting to me is you read it back here in this context, and my mind naturally just says, Isaac's kids. Yeah, but... I'm not an inspired interpreter of the Old Testament. The Apostle Paul is, the, is one of the inspired interpreters of the Old Testament. And he says without flinching, this is referring to the seed of Adam and Eve, the seed of Abraham, the seed of Isaac, all the way down to the seed of David, moving to the Lord Jesus. 
No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son and shall call his name Isaac. I'll establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. Please notice in verse 20, and I find this so interesting historically. As for Ishmael. Now, right there, he could have said, as for Ishmael, that was your doing. Nothing. He'll die, and that's it. You failed in what you did. But it's not what he says. It's so interesting what God does here. He says, as for Ishmael, which Ishmael means God hears or God has heard, he says, I've heard you. So there's a play on words here. Behold, I've blessed him, and I will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes, and I will make him into a great nation. So it's, it's like there's two bodies here of people that he's talking about in these two individuals. And by the way, Galatians speaks to this very thing, uses them as an illustration. You've got Isaac and you've got Ishmael. Never once does God ever attach the Abrahamic covenant to Ishmael. The Lord never validates this act that Sarai and Abram cooked up with Hagar to be able to help God out. Never once does God say, oh, and they're going to be within this whole covenant thing, that he's a child of the covenant. He doesn't talk like that. But I still find it so fascinating that he doesn't just write them off, but he says nations will come from him too. Now, beloved, the two nations, Arab nations, Israeli nations, these two are going to be tracking through history you're going to see bloodshed everywhere, which is what was promised to Hagar in reference to Ishmael. He's going to be a wild donkey of a man. He's going to be constantly fighting his people. He's going to be always at battle with the sword. It's going to be a terror, but I will bless you with a multitude of people. So even there, I think God's grace is still evident. Now, if you want a summation of what I have said So take every sermon Dan has said in the last number of months can all be summarized in verse 21. But I, El Shaddai, Almighty God, I will establish my covenant. We've seen the establishing of that covenant, that agreement, with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you, Abraham, at this time next year. That is God really saving a lot of ink. As he says with clarity, I, God, will establish my covenant with Isaac. Isaac will be the child of Sarah. Remember your barren wife who's just rounding 90. She will bear a child to you, Abram. You know, he's a centurion. He's 100 years old. You, You and I will have a great nation becoming through you, I will accomplish all of this. You see how he widened the lens? Now, take that, guys, all the way back to chapter 12, where he says, Abram, leave your people, go to a land, I'll show you where the land is, and I will make a nation out of you. I'll make a multitude out of you. You'll have lots of people come from you, and every family of the earth will be blessed through you. Go. With nothing, nothing to show. Just go. And he goes in faith. This is why Romans 4 is so important when you read. Nothing caused him to be wavering in his faith. Abram walked in faith before the Lord. And now God has given him such a beautiful understanding, such a much fuller understanding of his promise and of what God is going to accomplish through Abraham. 
I don't know about you. I'm, I have shared with you that I'm not a very patient guy, a pretty impatient guy. When somebody comes and says, I'm going to give you something, say it's, you know, I'll give you uh, whatever, something that would mean something to you, uh, you know, like Nanette, if somebody were to promise you a Harley Davidson, you know, you'd be ecstatic. <clears throat> if somebody were to say, Dan, I'm going to give you a Harley, I'd be like, awesome, when? I'm going to give you a Harley. No, I know, I heard you, but when? When I give it to you. Okay, five years pass, 10 years pass, 15 years pass, I see him, hey, what about that Harley? Oh, I'm pointing to Lloyd. What about that Harley? Oh, you know, I'll get, I'll get that to you. Um, you're going to get it. Oh, man, when you get it. And I turn 99, and they're like, hey, I have a Harley for you. I'd be like, <laughs> good, I can sell that and get a wheelchair. So, you know, <clears throat> God never told Abram when. And now we see it right here. This time next year. I don't know exactly why he waits till he's 100 years old. I can take lots of guesses, take lots of shots at why he does that. My, my thought goes to God is teaching this man, growing this man, shaping this man, the same with his wife. He's a man who has been forced to walk in faith on the word of God alone. But now the Lord, in his kindness, in his grace, in this moment says, in a year, this time next year, you're going to see this promise. And you're going to hold the promise in your arms. And you, Mr. Man, who's been laughing on your face, will take a newborn home at 100. Because I am God. Do you want to question my power or second guess my power? Let me remind you who I am, Abraham. I will show you who I am. And this world that mocks you and thinks you're ridiculous because you've changed your whole life, put it upside down because of a promise, and now you're a hundred and you're still saying there's a promise, you are crazy according to this world. I will show the world just how crazy you are because I'm going to show them my power through you and through your wife. I'm convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that God loves using our weaknesses. We don't like it. I hate when, it, when he uses my weakness because I feel uncomfortable. I feel scared. I feel nervous. I feel like, oh, man, I hope they don't ask me to do math. I'm nervous. I don't want to be involved in that. I, you know, that kind of a fear. And that's exactly where he loves to use you as opposed to, I got this. That's usually when he slams you. That's usually when you come down hardcore and you crash and you say, oh, man, I, th- I was the perfect guy for this. No, you weren't. Because then people glory in you and not in him. You miss the whole point. God wants to use your weakness to show his power, not your power to show his power. Because then the world glories in your power. When, when, it's, when it's our power and our ability and our fight and our strength, then people go, wow, that person's really strong. But when you are an utter weakling, you go, wow, there's a power behind that person that's not that person. Yeah, his name's Christ. That's why it's so tough when people say, what do I have to offer God? Um, That's not the question. The question is not, what do you have to offer him? The question is, what's he going to accomplish through you? That's That's the Bible question. 
God is not saying, now I need to find the best. Who are the best? If he's looking for the best, we are not the best. If he's looking for the best, the 12 disciples he chooses, seriously? If he's looking for the best, some of the, some of the greatest, most used people in the history of the church are some of the weakest, fragile people that God showed himself powerful through. And so, Abram, I'm going to wait. Tell you what, I'm going to wait until you're 100. And then I'm going to show my power through you and Sarah. Totally on purpose. No mistake, nobody threw God off his game plan. Totally on purpose for God to show his power through their incapabilities. He loves that. So, preach your point really quick. This week, say something pops up and you go, wow, I'm not gifted in that area. Perfect. You're the perfect candidate to be used because God will show his power through your inadequacy. Beloved, I believe this with all my heart. As soon as we brag about our capabilities and our inadequacies, that's when the Lord will graciously and lovingly humble our hearts. How he does it, he's got an arsenal. That's his, that's his call. But when we are scared and fearful, and here's the key word, dependent on him. Now you are officially clay ready to be molded for his good purpose. Abram is clay here. I'm 100 years old, Lord, I got nothing. Perfect. Perfect. Now I'll show myself. I will show myself through you. Okay. Keep on trekking. So, verse 21, summation of the whole thing going on. Now, let me show you this, guys. The rest of this chapter um, really is one main point. I realize there's numerous verses, but it's one main point. Look at verse 23. Then Abram, well, verse 22, when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abram. Now, how God manifested himself, so that way Abram knew when he was there, when he left, so on and so forth. I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know how he knew when God was there, was not there. I'm not going to speculate. Verse 23. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son and all those born in his house or bought with his money every male among the men of Abraham's house and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day as God had said to him. Now, I don't know about you, but it's funny. There's no, no ink in the text, but I'm, I'm going, was there some kind of conversation with him? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you this sign of the covenant, servant, why? God told me to. And I'm, you know, I'm not trying to be silly. I'm saying how, how awkward, how fill in all the blanks. But God told me to, and I'm going to do this. And nothing is said in the text of the servant saying no or, or that kind of fight. Was there that? I don't know the answer to the question. They're his servants. They're his family. Perhaps they all submitted very clearly. But there's one phrase in here that I think is the most, one of the most beautiful phrases in this whole storyline of Abraham, and that is, that very day. Delayed obedience is disobedience. You're, when you're a kid and your dad says, I want you to stack the firewood. Okay. Three weeks later, I thought I told you to stack the firewood. I'm gonna. That goes over well, Right? Dad's like, oh, okay, well, I'll just wait for you to keep doing. I'm sure that that's what you mean. No, 
The delay is a sign of disobedience. I told you to stack the wood. I will. I'll get to it. That very day, there is an immediacy that happens in Abram here. He is unflinching in his obedience to the Lord. God said it, done. Now, has that been the whole track record of his life? No, it's not. It's not. Being realistic with this guy, he errs, he faults. Yeah, yes, of course. But here, beloved, look, take the meat, spit out the bones of this guy's life. His response is, yes, sir. Unflinching. I will walk in obedience to you. It's going to be strange. It's going to be difficult. You imagine if he came and, and he does this. I, I, an argument I would pose if I was one of his servants or one of his, his family members, what I would pose to him is I would say, Abram, wait a second, wait a second. If we do this, then you take every male of our entire group out of commission and we're without protection. Every warrior in our group is going to be lame for a little while and incapable to fight. What are you thinking? I'm just saying that could be a plausible argument you could make. To which Abram would respond, I know, then we're all totally dependent on God. Hopefully you get the sarcasm of that statement. But you can't tell me that there weren't at some point some kind of thought in the mind of this man that he wrestled with, at least a little. I could be wrong. But whatever it was, it didn't last long because unflinchingly he said, of course, absolutely. God's word says, I do. And he takes care of the rest. How much struggle of my life and your life would be removed if God says, I do, and trust him with the results was the way I live. Verse 24, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That's a very important verse just because historically the Apostle Paul will use this as one of the centerpieces of his argument in the book of Romans. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. Again, that very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised in all the men of his house, those born in the house, and those bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. Unflinching obedience to God's word. God said it, I will do it. So let me touch on a couple points of application, and then I want to draw your attention to the Lord's Supper. I know, guys, that It's a, it's, a, it's a very easy thing to say from this piece of wood up here. To say, God says, and you do, and then you trust him with the results. I know the million yeah, but questions we can propose back to him. I know that not every situation is as crystal clear black and white. I know that there's struggles. I know that there's things that the heart wrestles with. I, I know, I agree with you. But at the same time, if I, if I may, I think that's really not the issue most of the time. 
most of the time the fight is, I know what his word says. I just don't like it. Or I want something more than I want obedience to him. I think that's usually the fight, because my mind is to usually go to the gray area, so that way we don't have to talk about where I'm wrong. (laughs) Rather, I'd like to redirect all of us afresh and say, are you trusting the Lord in what you know to be true right now? You trust him? You find yourself wrestled with anxiety all the time, worried, fearful, scared, and yet you would tell me to my face you trust in his sovereignty. We all say, Al Shaddai all day long, but man, I just don't trust him with this situation because it's too hard for him. I don't think God understands the ins and outs of this situation. It's just too tough. And at 3 a.m., your whole family's asleep, it's dark, and you lay there, and for some reason, fear at 3 a.m. is different than fear at 3 p.m. I haven't figured that out, but it just feels like it. You trust him? Is your anxiety swallowed up in the fact that he is sovereign over all things? We must learn to trust the Lord at his word alone. There are times God gives you nothing but the truth of his word. Noah, I want you to go build a boat. Build a boat. There's going to be a huge rainstorm. I'm going to flood the whole earth and everybody's going to die but you and your family. Go work on the boat. Yes, sir. Abram, you're going to have a son, and you're going to have that son through your barren wife. and You're going to be 100 years old. She'll be 90. And I want you to go to this land that I'll show you where it is, and multitudes are going to come from you. Yes, sir. Daniel, I want you to continue to pray, though I know that in your mind, you're, you're probably a little fearful to throw you in the lion's den. There's some horrific things that could come about, but you're not going to shake on your prayer life with me. Matter of fact, kick open the windows when you pray to me. Yes, sir. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, bow now to that image or die. Their response, our God can save us right now. But if he doesn't, we will not bow. Yes, sir, Lord, we will not bow. And page after page after page after page, God says, this is my word. And the world around you thinks you're nuts. Family calls you weird names. You feel awkward in certain locations. But the word is the word is the word. Obey. Walk in obedience. There's there's every reason to. Side note, why would we let fallen man dictate what we do as opposed to the living God? I know we do, but I'm just saying logically, biblically, theologically, what? What? You're kidding me. We must walk in obedience to him and trust in the fact that he is absolutely in complete control. This is why I struggle so much when I hear people say, I don't want theology, I just want Jesus, or some kind of statement like that. They The image that comes to my mind immediately is this guy standing on this limb sawing when he says, I don't want theology. You don't want theology. You you don't want to know God, the living God. It'll ultimately change your life. I mean, 
We must walk in obedience and trust in him. And finally, guys, this is a word that is kind of attached to this message. It's certainly attached to this message, but it's also a word that because as we come to the table, I want to, I want to just give to you this morning, okay? This is heavy on my heart. It's something you hear, hopefully, Lord willing, every single Sunday, but a fresh challenge, I call you to this. Rest in the grace of God in Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but there are plenty of things to be scared of in this world. All kinds of things to be anxious about in this world. Great things of fear, great things of temptation, great things of struggles. There must be this foundation of resting in the grace of God in Jesus Christ. If you are a believer, you've been regenerated by the work of the Spirit of God, you are born again, dear saint, brother, sister in the Lord, rest in the grace of God that's in Jesus Christ. That is so needed because we so quickly rush to work righteousness where we try to make it that, you know, I'm making God like me more, or I'm more justified now because of the good stuff I'm doing. No, the obedience flows from the grace that came in the salvation. Remember, we must have this clear in our minds. We don't go good works, grace, righteousness, justification. We go grace by God, which enables faith, in Christ, which gives us righteousness through Christ, which lands us in good works. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and as Roger has taught me for the last five years, don't you dare take 10 away from 9, because you were God's workmanship created for good works in Christ Jesus. But the cart pulling the horse looks ridiculous going down the road. It is justification by grace through faith in Christ, and good works flow from that. I pray with all my heart you know that, but I would fail you as your, one of your shepherds if I don't hit that every Sunday, all the time, constantly. Because I'm convinced the heart of man naturally wants to go towards works righteousness and has to hear the gospel over and over and over again to remind us it's not what you do that justifies you. It's the, it's the righteousness of Jesus. And then what you do to honor him, please him, walk in obedience, flows from that. That's why verses 8 and 9 come before 10. I'm convinced. And so, beloved, rest in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we come now to the Lord's Supper, um, I would like to just encourage you, refresh you in that. But at the same time, there is a clear, clear warning in, the, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, if in your heart right now you say, I know what Dan said and I don't believe him, and I do not believe that and I do not know the Lord, um, I would encourage you, I would not encourage, too soft of a word, I warn you, don't partake of this. This is very serious business, it's very important, it's, it's, not a, it's not a silly little practice that Christians do to make themselves feel good. There's no rabbit's foot going on here. This is a command of Christ to be done by those who are in Christ. 
So there's that level. Abstain. There's the second level, Christian. If in this moment right now, something is rushing to your mind so fast like a lightning bolt, you say, God, I am hiding that from you and from everybody else, and God is bringing something to your heart, what a great time to confess that and leave it with him. Lay it, lay it down, beloved. I, 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 I've never run in a race before. I'm sure you're surprised. And as people run in a race, you imagine if you go to a runner. You know, he's got great big strong leg muscles and a short little or a tiny little torso. And he's about to run. And you walk up to him with a 300-pound backpack and you throw it on the guy. And you say... How many of you came in packing that this morning? Where you know, you know what you know, what you know. There's something so heavy on you. Deal with it. And if it makes it easier, let me know. He already knows. <laughs> he already is fully aware of that. Let me lead us in prayer, and then we'll, I want to, want to serve you. Father, I, I so badly do not want our gatherings here to be a superficial practice that we do because we've always done. But Lord, I really want my life and the life of this church family, I want these lives, Lord God, to be growing in you to be real before you, Lord, to open up our hearts before you and ask you to make known to us where we are in error. And so, Father, as we turn our attention to the bread and to the cup, Lord, this is a clear, clear opportunity that perhaps we need to do some business with you today. And my prayer, Father, is that we would recognize what your word has called of us, and we would be ready with unflinching obedience to the truth. And in the scope of that, Lord, cling even more tightly to the cross of Jesus Christ. For, Lord, apart from him, we are without hope. So, Father, would you stir us up? Point things out. Speak to us, Lord. Make things clear from your word to us. And I pray for a, an extra sense of, or sensitivity, rather, to the Spirit of God. That, Father, we would walk in obedience to what we know to be true. And I pray and ask this um, in the perfect name and the righteousness of Jesus. Amen. Raj and Mitch, would you help me serve, please?